Well, good morning. It's great to see you again. I tell you what, it's, uh, it's been a good weekend for us, a great weekend for us. Um, we've spent some time in training and uh, just have been blessed to have Mark Bain come and spend some time with us. For those of you who you're laying your eyes on him for the first time, you have no idea who this guy is, what he's about. And uh, it's kind of hard sometimes to, you know, get to know somebody and, and just in this kind of setting. I would just share a couple things with you, just kind of what you need to know right up front. One, personally, having been able to spend some time with him, he's the kind of guy that if you spend time with, you walk away and you're better for it. Um, he's just a, a, a wonderful person. But Mark is also, from a professional standpoint, I don't know if we would, professional sounds like a, uh, in the kingdom, it's kind of a, a weird word, but um, Mark is the director of evangelism and new church development in the Church of the Nazarene. That's a long title, a lot of words, a lot of big words, um, but uh, basically, um, at our world headquarters in Lenexa, Kansas, he has an office. That's all you need to know, all right? <laughs> So um, he, is, he has been a pastor for many years. He's been a district superintendent. And the Lord has just continued to work in his life and brought him to this position where he is now the director of evangelism for the Church of the Nazarene in USA, Canada. So that's over 5,000 churches that he is responsible for in that. But why I want to say that is because what you need to understand about Mark is he's here this weekend in Napoleon, Ohio. He literally travels all over. Uh, what are you home, five days a week? A month. Yeah. A month? Five, yeah, yeah, five days a week. That'd be no big deal, right? <laughs> what kind of job? You know? I'd like that. I mean, it's on him, this tremendous responsibility. But as him and I got to have a lunch together uh, this spring, and I'm just trying to share to him things that we're wanting to uh, take steps in in this church. And I'm just saying, Mark, is there any, uh, any kind of stuff you can give me or point me in a direction? And he just looked at me and said, you know what? I'm going to come to Napoleon. And so we're really blessed to have him. Um, but that's because of who he is. He is absolutely lives every day passionate about one thing, and that's about seeing the kingdom advance and people come to Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's what you need to know. Um, he's the director of evangelism for the Church of the Nazarene, but God laid it on his heart when he moved to Kansas City a couple years ago. Um, God began to talk to him about, uh, you're doing all this stuff for me, but I want you to plant a church in the urban core of Kansas City. And so he'll share some of that. So just to give you a little context of what he's also doing, you'll understand a little bit about what he's saying. But we're just tremendously, the weekend's been great. And anybody that's been at the training just walked away and, and been blessed by it. But uh, would you guys welcome Mark Bain to uh, the platform here at Napoleon? Thank you, Pastor. Well, when I met your pastor, I thought, man, if I could come to that church, uh, that'd be awesome. Uh, I don't go to many churches. Um, most of my time out is uh, I spend a lot of time at district assemblies and, you know, with pastors and leaders. And so every now and then... Uh, I get this sense from the Spirit that God wants to do something special in a local place. And um, I try to be hypersensitive to those things. And I know your previous pastor, currently the district superintendent of another district, Dave Lutz, and uh, I and forth this morning, he said, you guys are awesome. He loves you. He wishes. He said he watched the service in tears this morning. Uh, so he's a great guy. And, man, you, and he left this church with a great guy. Man, your pastor's amazing. When I sat down with your pastor, I realized I need to come there because that church has got some, some future that we need to really see God do amazing things in this area. And uh, I was looking at some statistics yesterday, and I realized there's about 100, what did I say, 146,000 people within 20 miles of your church. Did you know that? Within 20 miles of this church, there's 146, that's a lot of people. This church could be awesome. And when I talk with your pastor, I began to start doing some, some statistics and research. And I thought, you know what? This could be a key church. And where I was the district superintendent in Joplin, Missouri, we had churches in areas like this. And we'd have a church in a town that had 1,200 people that was running four or 500 in worship. And I thought, well, if that's going to happen, you guys could really do something in Napoleon. So I'm excited to be here and to be with your pastor and his family. And it's been great to be with you. 
you have wonderful people in this church. So I want to talk to you about um, demolishing some myths or demolishing some arguments or um, some deceptions in our culture. One of the deceptions that we have to work on is uh, God is here for our utility. We've kind of convinced ourselves that God's here to serve us. And buddy, if he does it right and he takes care of us and treats us right and gives us the right music and the right kind of thing, we're going we're gonna to honor him by coming and being a part of his church. That's, that's a myth, right? We know better than that, but we really kind of functionally act as though that is true. And so this is one of the things we want to try to deal with this morning. And the passage I want to start in is, is in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, is writing to the Corinthians and he's talking to them about demolishing arguments. And the reason is uh, almost everywhere Paul went, he followed people that would come in and teach bad stuff. And you have to come to that church, and you have to kind of straighten them out, kind of jack them up a little bit, get them back on track, and then, he, then he'd leave. And then he'd have to write them letters and get them back on track and back on track. And, of course, you know this. A lot of people in our culture kind of honor the, the church at Corinth as like a really special. They want to like make that the church. And that's the church that has the biggest mess of all the churches in all the New Testament. So Paul was spending some time trying to demolish some arguments. I love the way he tells us we should think. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 10 and verse 3, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. In other words, we don't fight the battles the same way the world does. He says, The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary. In other words, he says, Our weapons are much stronger. They intimidate, they annihilate the weapons of the world if we get a hold of them. On the contrary, he says, They have, our weapons have divine power. Amen? That means explosive power. That means the kind of power that does what God wants you to do right now. The kind of power that takes a, a person that's timid and bashful and turns them into a soul winner. That means, you got it. That means amen. Some of you might have been in the first service. Uh, the kind of power that, that takes a little bitty church that I walked into uh, on Friday, a little bitty building in the back that's now a youth room, and I couldn't believe it when your pastor said, this used to be the sanctuary. The kind of God, that's the kind of power that we have, the kind of power that, that God does stuff that you can't really explain, the kind of stuff that doesn't make sense. You remember George W. Bush used to say that was this, he said, kind of they use fuzzy math. Remember that fuzzy math comment? I remember, and that's kind of how God works. He, he works in ways that you can't really, you can't just put it down and say, well, yeah, I understand that. That makes sense to me, and I'm good. God, God has something called divine power, stuff that when he does it, you can't explain it. Somebody say amen. I'm getting excited. Y'all just kind of stay in their level. He says, uh, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What I want to say in, in, in preface to my comments this morning is that um, the, the, the enemy has a way of bringing into the church, into our lives, myths and lies and deceptions that keep us from doing what God wants us to do. And we, we tend to embrace those because they make sense. And the things of God kind of sometimes don't make sense. Have you, have you ever noticed that? Sometimes, I mean, they're not ignorant, but they don't make sense. Like, God chose Moses, an ex-murderer, to go back and deliver the people of Israel out of, out of Egypt. That doesn't make sense. That's not the guy you're going to use. You know, that's not the guy I would use. But that's who, that's who God uses. And so, so what, I, what I mean is that, that we need to start listening to God because here's why. Because faith presumes risk. Could you say that out loud with me? Faith presumes risk. What that means is if it's faith, it's really not going to add up sometimes. And what God says he wants you to do, you probably don't have the gifts, the tools, the talents, or the resources to do. That in order to do what God wants you to do, you almost have to have God. That you can't do it without him. And that's why we get in trouble in the church. So some of these things that we're talking about, some of these myths that the world and sometimes even the church convince us are real, we need to kind of push back against. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And I want to talk to you about five arguments or five myths. If you like notes, we've got some for you. You can pull those out and fill them out. But if you're going to abuse your spouse or kick your dog, if you don't get them all filled in, just throw them away. Because we don't want you to hurt anybody and anybody to get hurt today. So we're going to get into our first one. First, the first deception or first myth we want to undo. People that are lost are not in trouble. 
We really, we really have forgotten. The devil has convinced us that people that don't know Jesus are really okay. They just, they just need to be in church. Right? I mean, come on. We just kind of, we kind of own that. Oh, yeah, well, you know, they're not bad people. They're just, if they got in our church, they'd be fine. When really what needs to happen is they need their hearts and their lives completely and totally transformed. Amen? That's what they need. So we don't, we don't really think, and we don't like this idea. Uh, all those scriptures that you have up there, they're all scriptures that refer to the, to the concept of hell. We don't like the concept of hell. That's one of those things. Don't talk about hell. That's not encouraging. It doesn't make people feel warm. It doesn't make them feel good. Don't talk about hell. I've been in churches where they don't even want to talk about the blood of Jesus because blood is kind of dark. Uh, it's like we allow the world to convince us what's important to believe and talk about. And, and I don't think it's important to know about hell and talk about hell so you can tell sinners about hell. It's important to know about hell so that you can prevent them from going there. But I'm not sure we're convinced that people that are lost are going to hell. I mean, I'm serious. I, like I was sharing in the earlier service, I had a lady in my church in, in uh, Albuquerque, and she was kind of, kind of crippled, and she wasn't real able to walk real well. And one day she stepped out into the aisle, and she fell right in the middle of the floor. Thump. And you know what people did? They just kind of ignored her and said, what are you doing blocking my way? I'm heading for lunch here. Would you get out of the way? Move your carcass. No. Everybody in the church ran to her. Ran right to her to try to save her and help her. They actually cared for her. They had compassion for her. But if Anne had died on the floor of the church that day, she'd be in a better place than 95% of the people you and I see every day of our lives. They look good. Everything looks nice. But inside, their lives are falling apart. And what they need is Jesus. Somebody say amen. They need Jesus. This became very vivid to me when I was driving from Albuquerque to uh, Colorado one time, and I was going up Interstate 25, and just as you get past Santa Fe and turn the big sharp turn on Interstate 25, just past Santa Fe, next to Glorietta Campgrounds, and I was behind a gas tanker truck of some sort. I don't know if it was natural gas or regular gas, but when I went around it, this truck, as soon as I passed it, it hit kind of a slick spot on the road. It's kind of icy up there in the mountains, and it flipped over, and the, and the tank blew up. And instantly, I stopped as quick as I could, about 100, maybe 300 yards away from that truck. I hopped out of my car, and I ran back towards it because I saw a guy inside the cab, and he was trying to get out. His door was jammed, and he couldn't get out. And I ran as fast as I could, and I got about 100, 150 feet from that truck, and the cab exploded. When it exploded, I watched this silhouette of a man inflamed and just melt into the cab of that truck, and I couldn't do a thing about it. Had I tried to get close enough to help him, I would have lost my own life. When I saw that, I had a picture of eternal hell that people might experience if they don't know Jesus. Just me saying that out loud somehow makes us feel weird, doesn't it? Because we've allowed the enemy to convince us that people that don't know Jesus, oh, they're no big deal. We're just going to go to church and serve Jesus. Everything will be fine. But I have to tell you, I was one of those people that was lost, that knew. In fact, the guy that talked to me about Jesus, I was a messed up, drunken, drug addict, gang-fighting bum on the streets of the East Coast. And a young man just told me one day, he said, are you going to be one of the few people that makes it to heaven? Because the Bible says most people can go to hell. When he said that to me, it absolutely shocked my whole world. And I'm grateful that he said that to me. Now, I wasn't grateful that day. That day I called him names and I cussed him out and I left that restaurant and on my way out I turned back and looked at him and I said, thank you very much, you just ruined my day. But he didn't just ruin my day, he actually ruined my life. Because that day I drove home and 45 minutes from Virginia Beach, Virginia to Williamsburg, Virginia, Jesus Christ was in the car with me and I got upstairs in my bedroom and I gave my life to Christ that night. And that was a result of one brief encounter. I'm glad that that guy believed in hell that gave him the desire to prevent me from going there see i don't think we should believe in hell so that we could tell sinners about it necessarily i think we should believe in hell so that we can keep them from going there amen so this first myth we really need to just demolish it and get it out uh, and then the second one number two secular methods in church programs are more effective in reaching the unsaved than the gospel is secular methods in church programs 
or more effective in reaching people for the gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ is. See, I believe that if you want somebody in the kingdom, the best way to get them in the kingdom is to go out and to get them in the kingdom. So we've, we've had another method we've, we've devised in the church today, and that is if we just get our churches just right, and we get the music just right, and we get the lights right, and the sound is good, and the temperature's right, and the right kind of chairs, they're going to come. But it's not happening. See, God never intended that to be the way to build the kingdom. In fact, I said this in the meeting this weekend, God didn't tell us to build the church ever. Nowhere in Scripture will you ever find that Jesus said, go build the church. In fact, he said just the opposite. He said, I'll build the church. He said, you, go make disciples. So every person that's a Christian is a disciple maker. Did you know that? God, given, God has given us all we need for life and godliness. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you're a disciple maker. Just go ahead and tell them. Now, the first service, they gave me an extra 15 minutes. I told them if you respond, I can preach really fast. If you just sit there like not on a log, I can preach for two hours. So how many want the, how many want the quick version? Say Amen. They turn to somebody and say, you look like a disciple maker. Would you do that? See, I'm convinced if you wanted me to go to church when I, before I became a Christian, here's all you had to do. If you want me in, the, in, in your church, just do this. Just have the Doobie Brothers come and sing. And then you'd have to provide a joint, a marijuana joint, because I got high all the time. And you can't go to a rock concert without getting high. I mean, before I got saved, I mean. I don't go to those anymore. Because now if you go to them, you get high whether you have a joint or not, I think. It's just it's everywhere. So I don't go in those places. But back then, and if I came, you'd have to not only have a marijuana joint, but it had to be a good one. It liked to have to be Colombian red butt. It couldn't be just Mexican pot. It had to be the good stuff. Because I can get the Mexican pot in my neighborhood. If I'm coming to church, it's got to be better. And then you've got to have a six-pack of Bud Light tall boys and have a girl for me to sit with, and I'm there. That's all you've got to do. But that's not what Jesus had in mind to build the church. See, what Jesus had in mind to build the church is for you. By the way, did you, did you know that you're the church? The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit dwells in you that wherever you go, that's where the church is. There was a sign in the back of a church in Billings, Montana. I read it on my left. It said, the church is about to leave the building. Amen. See, that's what the New Testament teaches, that you and I, we're the church that the church just gathers and celebrates here, but the church is working all throughout the week out in our communities, amen? And so when we start thinking about this myth, I think, well, here's what happened to me. See, I, I was at the beach and the church came to me. They didn't have to change the music. In fact, the music in that church was horrible that I went to. They didn't have to change how we do worship. They didn't have to change the lights. They didn't have to take the pews out. None of that really mattered to me. Because when I was at the beach, this guy told me about Jesus, and I drove home. When I got home, I read a track that told me how to become a Christian, and I gave my life to Jesus in my bed in my upside, upstairs room, and then I couldn't wait to go to church. You couldn't keep me out of church. I wanted to go to church three times a day. They didn't have enough church for me. It was, it was amazing. And it was the most nastiest, ugliest, awfulest place on the planet. They didn't have all these nice lights and presentations and PowerPoints. Everybody in the church was 80 I was 18, 19, I was 17 years old. They were, it was like Geezerville, man. They all had gray hair if they had any at all. And, and the music was like a dirge. They played, they sang Amazing Grace and Kumbaya. And the carpet was red with black spots. And the pews were these old things that were like benches that had little pads in them. And you could imagine that all the people that had sat on those over the years, and you really didn't want to sit there. The things they might have done, I just didn't want to, that just wasn't, I didn't want to go there. And then the backs of the pews were like super glue. Yeah, if you lean on them, if you lean against them long enough, when you pulled out, it rips your skin off. It was, it was a horrible place. But I, I, I couldn't wait to get there. You know why? Because the people of God were there. You didn't have to drag me to church. You didn't have to have special programs. You know why? Because I found Jesus. See, Jesus changed my life, and he did something in me, and the church got in me. I didn't have to worry about you dragging me to get into the building. So when I say secular methods and church programs are more effective in reaching unsaved, than the it's the gospel that saved me. He told me God could change my life, that I didn't have to go to hell. That changed me. And I went to church because I wanted to. See, that's a whole lot easier. 
It doesn't cost nearly as much as all of us. Now, I think you ought to, I think you've got an amazing building. I think you could have a better building. I think you could have worse buildings. But it's, if we get it, folks, it's not about the building. It's about the kingdom in our hearts. And every one of us, according to the Scripture, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you are the church. The problem is we've forgotten about that, and we think that the only time church happens is when we're here for an hour. The, when the meeting's over, that's when, that's when church begins. When you get out and you start making an impact on your world. Amen? Somebody say amen. In the New Testament, Jesus modeled personal outside the church ministry. You remember when he met Matthew, the tax collector? Remember? He, he approached Matthew. He said, we have a really wonderful worship time. If you follow me, I'll give you a nice church for your family, and you can have a nice, safe environment to raise your kids in. Just come on over. We're going to have a great time together. No, Jesus just looked at him and challenged him. He said, follow me, and I'll make you catch men. Jesus gave him a vision that was bigger than his own life. And you know what Matthew did? He got up and followed him. It was just a natural thing for him. So here's some of the expectations I have for people that are members of my new church in Kansas City. We call it Total Life Church. It's an urban core, mostly black church. We started last year. Uh, just my wife and I showed up last, last July, and the Lord said, I want you to plant a church. <laughs> and I said, that's funny. <laughs> I said, you don't understand, God. I, I'm, I'm gone 25 days a month. I'm never home. I can't plant a church. That's impossible. You know what he said? He said, that's why I'm asking you to do it. I'm tired of you doing stuff you can do without me. That's what God told me. So we got busy. And we set up some standards. If you join our church, here's some things you have to commit to. You have to commit to praying one day a week, one hour every day for our church. You can pray for all the other stuff the rest of your week. We want you to spend one hour every day just praying for Total Life Church. Well, what that would do to your church if everybody spent one hour every week just praying for your church, that would just transform things. If people were just talking to God, it's amazing. God has good ideas on the church. His ideas about how to do church are better than Andy Stanley's. I promise. In fact, Andy got his from God. Same place you can get them from. I mean, God is good on the church. Somebody say amen. He, and if you talk to him, he's going to help you do the church right, right? That's the first thing. You have to give one hour a week. And then you have to spend one hour every week among non-believers. If you join my church, you have to commit to spending one hour every week among non -believers. Now, you don't have to hit them upside the head with the King James Bible and tell them they're going to go to hell. But I want you to get around them. Because I'm convinced one of the greatest problems in the church today is that Christians are never around lost people. It's really hard to lead a lost people to Jesus if you never meet any of them. And so that's the second thing. The third thing is I, can, I, I expect my, every person that joins my church to spend an hour every week reconnecting with people they've touched once. So I want to tell you a story. So I have to model that, so I try to spend one hour. My commitment is every day I'm in town. I'm in town five days a month, thereabout. I'm committed to spending one hour praying for my church a day, one hour connecting with lost people a day, reconnecting with people every day that I'm in town. Now that sounds, doesn't that sound impossible? Does it? Come on, be honest. That sounds kind of tough. And I, and I told God that, and that's, he said, that's why I want you to do it. Because <laughs> I want to help you. And it's been amazing what God's done. So one evening, it was about 8.15, it was very late, I was exhausted. I get up usually about 3.30 in the morning, and I spend a couple hours in prayer. And the reason I do that is not because I'm spiritual. It's because I'm very ungifted. And I need God to do anything. I need God just to get through my day. And if I don't have a couple hours with God, I just can't get it done. I'm just not, I'm just not capable. And so I have to spend some time with God. Then I go to the office now at the Global Ministry Center. They don't even open until 6 a.m. Can you imagine? You can't go to the office until 6 a.m. So I'm usually out there in the parking lot praying, waiting for them to open so I can come in and swipe my card and go in. Then I spend about from 6 a.m. until about 1 in the office. And then I go downtown. This was my day that day. And I went down to the urban courts, about a 35-minute drive from Lenexa down to, we're meeting in the Nazarene Seminary. That's where our church is meeting at. So I drive down there, and I'm doing business all day. I think I set up our corporation papers. And I went and paid rent at the seminary, and I just run around. And finally, it was late that evening, and I was going to visit one of our staff that had just moved in there next to the seminary, and I looked at his new digs. He just got a new rental property in the basement of a house. And I came over to visit him and his wife and welcome him to town and all that. And it was 8.15. And I'm, I turn out of the seminary, I turn left, and I go down Woodland, and I'm, I'm standing in the corner, sitting in the corner of my car of 63rd and Woodland. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm really tired tonight. I know I promised you an hour a day, but I'll make it up next week or something. Because I had to fly out the next morning at 6, and I'm just too tired. And it's a 40-minute drive from there to my house. 
And, and I told God that it was okay if I could do it, could I do it tomorrow? And you know what God said to me? He said, sure, you can do it tomorrow. We'll just let the people you were going to meet tonight go to hell. I'm like saying, decaf, God. Relax, chill. I mean, I'm your boy. You don't have to talk to me like that. Now, maybe God doesn't talk to you like that, but he talks to me like that. He's pretty straight with me. I think sometimes God isn't straight with us because we may not be really talking to him. <laughs> I think a lot of times our prayer is us talking to ourselves. I'm good. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, I'm awesome. Yeah, you're awesome. When I get with God, he kind of straightens me out sometimes. He just does that to me. And so he, he did that that day. So, uh, so what are you going to do if he tells you that? See, if I turn right, I go out to Interstate Highway 71, I go up north, take 70 west all the way over to the Legends, and I go up on 435, and then I exit at Donahoe, and I go home. If I turn left, I go back in the urban core, and I have to give that hour. What do you think I did? Who said that? I turned left. And I went down, and, and where, I, where, where we're at, the urban core, there's a, there's a metro thriftway, which is like an inner city kind of a grocery store. It's, they have signs all over that says, we take EBT cards, you know, and uh, we take food stamps and all that. And that's, those are the signs that are on there. And, you know, you know chicken for $1.10 a pound, whole fryers, that kind of stuff. Just a little old kind of a rinky-dink place. And it's right next to a, to a uh, plasma center. And over to the right, there's a couple of hair extension stores, all this stuff. That's where we're at. So I go down there, and I decide I'm going to give God an hour. And I want you to know that I turned left, and I went down that urban core that night about like Jonah went to Nineveh. I did not want to do it. I had wrong motives. I wasn't happy about it, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I did. I hopped out of my car. As I'm getting out of my car, I noticed a red Corvette sitting there, and there's a guy inside the Corvette. He's got the lid lifted up on it. He's got the spark plugs wires off. He's got the valve covers off. I mean, he's got his car torn up right there in the middle of his parking lot. It's an old, like, 86 Corvette, beat to death. And I asked him if I could help him. He said no. So I said, okay, I guess he's not a guy I'm supposed to witness to. So I went inside the Metro Thriftway. And when I walked into Metro Thriftway, I, I saw these three people standing there. Jaheem, Angela, and Punchy. Now when I saw Jaheem, I, I just, it got my attention. Now I had three flyers because we had an outreach event happening the next day. That was, this was Sunday. The next day was Saturday. The next day was Sunday. And we have an event on Sunday night. And so I saw this kid sitting in there, and if you can't see it from this picture, but if I enlarge that picture, you can see that where his hands are, where there's wrinkles in his hands, they're really cuts. Every wrinkle you'd have in your hand, he had blood gushing out of it. He had some kind of a skin disease, kind of like a leprosy type of thing, that he couldn't, he couldn't walk on his feet because his mom said, we've had to replace his tennis shoes many times because if he walks, his blood just gushes right out of his skin. His skin doesn't hold his blood in. He has this disease, and I said, well, ma'am, could I pray for him? She said, Sure. That's kind of weird, right, to ask to pray for somebody in a public place. Have you ever done that? Has anybody ever just gone to a public place and just asked to pray for somebody you've never known from Adam? It's cool. You should, you should try this if God tells you to. I, I, I would never do it because I think it's really stupid to do it. But if God told me, then it's cool, right? So I just think it's cool when God tells you to do something. Usually he's going to tell you to do stuff that you wouldn't normally do or you'd be doing it, Right? And so, so I just did it. I just said, sure, I'll pray for him. And I prayed for him. When I prayed for him, his mother, Angela, fell on my neck. Literally, she hugged me, and she said, my son is nine years old, and you're the first person that's ever prayed for Jaheim. In America, Christians everywhere, Christians in every store on the planet, and the first time this kid's nine years old, he's got leprosy, and nobody's ever prayed for him. I said, thank God. So I went over to check out. As I was walking to leave them, I heard Jaheem say to his mom, Mom, can I have these chips? He wanted some uh, red-hot Cheetos. Well, I was about 20 feet away from him when I heard him say it, so she didn't, he didn't know I heard him. And I stopped, and the Lord said, go buy their groceries. So I went back, and I said, hey, get those Cheetos, because Mom said no. I said, get those, get them. Anything else you want? I went over there, and so I'm, I'm at the counter here. This is the checkout. So I'd already prayed for him. Well, I prayed for him. He's on the other side of the store over here somewhere. So we're at the checkout, and on the checkout, there's a lady checking somebody out this way that's on the other line, and there's a lady checking us out. So when we go to the checkout line, the lady in this line that's checking somebody else out, she turns around, and she looks at me, and she said, did you just pray for that boy? And I said, yeah, and I remembered my wife tells me all the time, Mark, you have a loud mouth. <laughs> and so I have to watch it when I pray in public, you know, because, you know, and she says, never talk on the phone in public. Does your wife ever tell you guys that? 
never talk on your phone because everybody knows all your business because you don't you're all into the conversation you realize there are people that are listening and they're interested in your life you know and so I, I said yes I did she said I want to come to your church so I gave her a flyer can you imagine, it's, it's about now it's about 9 o'clock at night. I'm in the urban core, a scary, dark place. Everybody there is African-American. There's crime and violence all around us. There's gunshot happening. And somebody asked me if they can go to my church. That's just freaky. So I gave her a flyer. And then I went outside. When I'm outside, this dude shows up. He's, he's, like, the, he's like the security guard. His name is Kenny Garrett, Jr., now, that's, that's Robert. That's the guy that was working on his Corvette, and that's his girlfriend, Jermica, and that's me, old Baldy, back there. And so when I come outside, I see this guy still working on his car, and, and I get ready to encounter him, and this guy, the security guard, comes up, and he says, Father. I said, I'm not your father, bro. What you, I, do I look like a father? A father. He thinks I'm like a Catholic priest because I, I guess he heard me pray too. He said, Father, when a tree falls in the woods, does it make a noise? I'm thinking, dude, I don't want to talk to you. I'm here to talk to you about Jesus, not about trees. This guy was some kind of a philosopher. He wanted to talk about the deep things of God, you know. But he's waiting in line for me to talk to me. And then I went over and I found Robert there. He was leaning over the car. I said, can I help you? He said, it's cold. Can, do you have? I said, I got a jacket I can give you. So I gave him my fine silk jacket, $175 jacket, baby. It was a golf jacket. It's cut just right for fat people so it makes you look skinny. You know, it's like wide at the top, narrow here. I love this jacket. I love to wear it because it hides my belly. You know, it's kind of like my favorite jacket. $175 jacket. And I didn't tell him how much it cost because I bought it at the thrift store for eight bucks. But that was 100 I checked it online and it was a $175 jacket. I gave it to him. He's wearing it right there. When I handed that jacket to Robert, Jermica was sitting in this Corvette over here. It's an old, nasty, beat-up Corvette. She's sitting in there and she's kind of cold, wrapped up in all these clothes she has on. And, uh, and I said, here, I'd like to give you my jacket. And when I gave him the jacket, he looked at me and he said, where, where am I at? Where am I at? I thought, dude's tripping. He's on like PCP or something. He's freaking out. He's going to kill me. I mean, that's not the right thing to say when you give somebody a jacket. Where am I at? I looked at him. I said, well, you're kind of, and he interrupted me. He said, no, no. And when he said this, I promise you, a tear came to his eye. Big six foot four African-American guy. He said, people don't give you stuff in this neighborhood. They take stuff from you. I said, Robert, we're trying to change that. That's why we're here. When I said that, Jermica jumps out of the car, and she runs around, and she gets in line behind Robert. I mean, here, here, Kenny Garrett Jr. So she's in line, and Kenny's in line. And he's still asking me these crazy philosophical questions. I'm trying to get him out of the way so I can talk to Jermica, right? And then as I'm standing there talking to him, Jermica's waiting in line, and here comes Lynn Greer. Lynn Greer was our checkout person that was over here checking us out. And when she comes, she just got off of work at, at, at like 9 o'clock. She, she walks out. She's heading to her car. She sees me there. She comes up and she says, did you just pray for that boy? I said, well, well yeah. I thought, what's the big deal? Just pray for somebody. Don't Christians always pray for people? And I realized they don't. Because Jaheim was nine years old and nobody had yet. And Christians are everywhere. So I thought, well, maybe, this, maybe it is a little bit weird, you know. And so she starts talking to me. She gets in line. So I got a lot of people. I got Robert, Jermica, Kenny, and Lynn Greer waiting in line at 1030 at night in the urban core of Kansas City wanting to know about Jesus. Not because I have a great personality. Not because I'm particularly gifted. But because instead of turning right, this happens to you often. You have those moments in your life when you feel the Holy Spirit saying you need to turn left instead of right. You need to say something to that person instead of being quiet. You need to, you need to start a conversation with that person instead of ignoring them. And, and, and instead of turning left, we turn right. See, that, that's the difference in this evening. It's not about my personality, my gifts, or my skills. It's about are you willing to be obedient when Christ speaks to you? Do you trust Jesus if he says do this? I want you to turn to somebody next to you and ask them. Look at them right in the eyes. Would you? I'm going to tell you what to tell them. Look at them right now. Go ahead. Look at them. I want you to ask them. Do you trust Jesus? Be honest. Just ask them, do they trust Jesus? I want to tell you the rest of the story. Remember when the Lord said, if you don't stop, they're just going to go to hell. We'll let them go to hell. Remember you telling me that? Well, Jermica came to church. When I finally got to Jermica in line, she said, I want to come to your church. Did you just give my husband a jacket? And I said, yeah. She said, I want to come to your church. She did. Now, that's Jermica after she got sanctified. That was like two months later. That's Robert after he's kind of got cleaned up. That's my wife and I. Jermica came to church. She gave her life to Christ about a month later. She got sanctified three months later. Her whole face changed. She went from being sad and depressed. You see, Jermica has quite a story. 
Jermika was the fastest runner in the state of Kansas. She was an Olympic hopeful when she was a, a freshman and a sophomore in high school. And she lived with her grandmother because most people in that community either live with their grandmother or their single mom. They don't have any dads around. But her grandmother got ill, and when she got ill, she kind of lost her mind. She pulled her out of running, which was her love for life. And when she pulled her out of running, Jermika got into drugs, alcohol. She got pregnant when she's 16. Now Jermika's had seven kids. Her life is totally destroyed. She's been a drug addict for the last 15 years, alcoholic, but now she's been delivered. Now she's not going to go to hell. And I went back over that moment. I thought, wow, how important that little decision was that I made by deciding whether to turn right or left. And I just want to tell you that you'll have those choices. You know when they happen to you. My prayer for you is that you'll be hypersensitive to the Holy Spirit so that when it happens, you'll know it's Him. Because if you'll know it's Him, He's going to have stuff like this happen to you. But if you're just doing it on your own, it probably isn't going to happen. But if God's involved with it, He's going to hook you up. Amen? Because you know why? God wants the whole world saved. Do you believe that? The Bible says it's not His will that any perish, but that every person comes to repentance. How many of y'all believe that? That's his will. And so he's got a plan for it. So if he speaks to you, I challenge you, listen to him and do what he tells you. Amen? Number three, I am not gifted, so I'm not responsible for or capable of evangelism and discipleship. I'm not gifted, therefore I'm not responsible for or capable of evangelism or discipleship. That's the biggest myth of all. That somehow our abilities make us effective. You remember the old statement they used to say, God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. Do y'all remember that? See, the, the real truth of the Bible is our abilities to be effective for Jesus have nothing to do with us. Our abilities to be effective for Jesus has to do with him. I'm going to share some scripture with you to help you understand that. First one is Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Remember that one? He said, anyone, Jesus says, anyone who has faith in me can say this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and it'll be done. So what's the qualifier? What's the caveat? What's, what, what, what's the defining quality of somebody that can do that? What is it? Anyone first, right? Anyone, right? So how many of you guys are anyone? Raise your hand. Everybody here is anyone. So anyone who has what? So anyone with faith. Now, how many of you guys have some level of faith? Raise your hand. If you're a Christian, you have some level of faith, right? You do, so that means you qualify to move a mountain. Now, here's the problem. We in the church, we do these myth things. We do this. You know, we say, well, I can, our church could move a mountain. Right? I mean, Napoleon Church could move a mountain. Because when Jesus was doing that, he was pointing to a mountain. He said, if anyone believes in me and they could say this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea, it would be done. And here's how we would do that. We'd say, well, we could move a mountain. If, if, if all the people in Napoleon Church had a spoon in 40 years, we could move that mountain into the sea. So we, all, we always kind of, we turn this thing into logic instead of faith. No, Jesus didn't mean if you had 40 years and 4,000 people in spoons that you could move the mountain in 40 years. No, he meant now. Because Jesus is talking about power that you don't have unless he's in your life. Amen? So first of all, it's faith. Number two, he says, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. All things. That's Paul. He can do all things. Why? What's the qualifier? It's Christ that gives him strength, Right? So it's not his gifts, it's not his talents, it's not his abilities, it's not his, it's not his knowledge, it's not his background. What is it that gives him the ability to do all things? It's Christ. Amen. Somebody say out loud on three, Christ. One, two, three. It's Christ that gives him strength. Amen. So it's not about your gifts. How about this one? John 14, 12. Jesus is looking at one guy, Philip. He says, anyone who believes in me, what's the qualifier? Anyone. How many of y'all are anyone? If anyone believes in me, he says, they, they can do the things that I do. Whoa. This is the best news ever I've ever heard in my life. That Jesus is saying that you can do what he does. Now that's just kind of freaky, isn't it, to think that? Because one of the myths that we've done, we've turned Jesus into a trophy instead of a model. We're kind of like the Buddhist. Yeah. yeah we come into church, we want to rub Jesus' tummy and say, oh, he was awesome. Shine him up. Polish him up. Jesus didn't come here for us to, to honor him as, as some kind of a model, trophy. Jesus came here to be a model. Jesus got in the dirt and in the muck so that he could say, this is what it looks like to be a Christian on this planet. And he reminds us of that in John 14, 12, when he says, anyone who believes in me can do what I've done. Even greater things can you do than I did because I go to my Father which is in heaven. So what's the defining quality here? 
anyone who believes. Amen? Somebody say amen. You're, you need to help me up here. I'm going to go a long time if you don't. And then Acts chapter 1-8. This is amazing. Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be. Well, y'all just don't know these verses. We've got to have a Bible memory scripture thing here. It says, say, everybody say the word witnesses. Say it again. All right, so let's try it again. So he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He didn't say, when you receive the Holy Spirit's power, if you go to the right trainings and you have the right personality and the right giftings, then you will be a witness. No. There's one qualifier. That's if you have the Spirit. How many of you are believers? Stand up. You're a Christian. Stand up if you're a Christian, please. The Bible teaches that if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. Do you know what that means? Everybody standing is a witness. It, it, one even further than that, according to Revelations 1, 6, it says, To him who loved us and saved us from our sin in his own blood and has made us to become a kingdom of priests unto God. That means everybody that's a believer is a priest. Praise God. Turn to somebody and say, hello, Father. No, say, you look like a priest. Tell them, say, you look like a priest. Go ahead, tell them. Look at, say, you look like a priest, because they do. You want to know what a priest looks like? It's the person sitting next to you that's a believer, amen? Thank you, you may be seated. So just so that you'll know that it doesn't take any special particular skills to do what we're talking about this morning, I want to tell you a brief story. When I first came to Kansas City, we decided if we're going to build a church, we've got to find lost people. Because I don't want to build a church full of a bunch of Christians. I'd like them to become Christians, but I don't want to find Christians and just make them Nazarenes. I want to find lost people and make them Christians, right? And so, so we wanted to find lost people. So we went out. I took, we had 10 people, my wife and my daughter and I, that's three. And then we had seven other people that were pretty new that we kind of had some connections with. And we said, we're going to go out. So we broke our 10 people up into groups of two. So there were five teams. I got, I had 10 $10 gift cards from McDonald's and 10 calling cards from the church, says TLC on it. And, uh, and I gave them all a notepad and a pen. And I said, here's the deal. We're going to have one hour. Just see what can happen, just for one hour. I want you to leave here. We were standing in a seminar, seminary parking lot when we talked. And I gave, I broke them up into groups of two. Now, the, there were like seven guys and three girls. And my wife and daughter were two of the girls. And they're the most timid, bashful people you ever met in your life. And, my, and I wanted my wife to go with me because I wanted to protect her, you know, because it's a, it's a dangerous area. It's a really violent neighborhood. I want to take her with me. And I want my daughter to go with one of the big, large men that's in our group because they'd be safe. But my wife and daughter looked at each other and said, no, we're not going with, we're going just the two of us. They said, because we're going to beat you, Dad. We're going to get more contacts than you get. That's the kind of competition I'm talking about. That's what we need in the kingdom, right? We need to get excited about how many are you going to win to Jesus today? That, my wife, my, they're timid. They've never done evangelism in their whole lives. But today they're going to do it because they're part of a church plant. So they went out. And what I told them was, if you meet somebody, they didn't knock on doors. They just went out in the neighborhood. It was like in a park. There's a park. People were playing on the slides and sitting on benches and laying in the grass. And so that's kind of where we went. So we went and, and uh, I said, whenever you give somebody a card from the church, also tell them we're planting a church. And, and if they're interested, give them a gift card to McDonald's and tell them when you go use this gift card, just think about Total Life Church. And then if they take the card, ask them if you can get their name, address, and phone number. That's kind of pushing the envelope, isn't it? That's getting a little bit pushy. They did it. They had one hour. We met at McDonald's at 7.30 on Troost and 64th. We sat down there and we started celebrating and all of a sudden we started tallying up who got the most contacts. There were five teams. My wife and daughter were one team. Me and Femi were another team. We had a total of 19 names, phone numbers, and addresses from one hour of being in the community. 19. And of those 19, nine were my wife and daughters. <laughs> and they have never to this day ever let me forget it. If they were here, my wife would say, yes, <laughs> because they whooped their dad that day. Well, when we were sitting there talking, in walks a couple, um, Khadijah and Shivante. Khadijah and Shivante, I had met in the park. Khadijah's nine-month pregnant. They're not married. It's a, they're just boyfriend and girlfriend, which is very common there. 
They come in the McDonald's, and I watch them come in, and I recognize them. And I jumped up from our table where our staff was kind of having fellowship, and I went over, and I said, Khadija, Chivante, not today. You don't get to spend this card. you got to spend this card another time. I'm going to buy your dinner today. So I bought their dinner. We sat down, and we spent about an hour and a half just talking, learning their stories, listening to their lives, hearing about their story. It was an amazing experience. And then about three weeks later, they had their baby. And I was out of town that week, so my wife and my staff were over there to love on them as they had their baby. It's been an amazing experience. We're still working on their lives, trying to get them straightened out, and it takes a long time sometimes in that area. So I just want to remind you, I'm not gifted, therefore I'm not responsible. Your gifting does not determine your responsibility of reaching lost people. The, the cool news is you get the privilege of reaching lost people, not the responsibility. Somebody say Amen. You get the, see, I believe that the greatest crescendo, the highest experience of a Christian is to lead someone to Jesus. And 99% of the people on the planet that are Christians never have. I just, I just like for you to experience the fullness of it, you know. I tell people that's kind of like what we do in the church. It's kind of like telling a 24-year-old woman who just got, just got married, telling her, we want you to have a wonderful family. There's only one caveat, you can't have any kids. And, and Christians live their whole lives thinking it's not normal for them to reproduce. And it should be. Amen. According to the scripture, it should be. Well, I have a picture of my wife and my grandbaby here. That's Sherry and that's Aunt Alice, my little grandbaby. That was nine months ago. <laughs> that was to tell you that story. Then let me tell you one last part of the story. My group, that's Femi, he's on staff, and that's Stevie, he's uh, my youth pastor's husband. We were out in that, that area, that's where we went, and we, got th we met this guy. His name is Norris. Norris is sitting there. All these guys here are like 70 years old. They used to play high school basketball together. And every Saturday they're out in the park. They have a cookout and they have a ghetto blaster going in the background in that truck. <laughs> it's kind of cool right there at the park in the neighborhood. So I kind of walked up there and, and I just felt like the Lord wanted me to talk to Norris. So I, I went over to Norris. I noticed he had a port in his arm, a big old port. And I asked him, I said, tell me what that's about. He said, well, I'm, I'm on dialysis three times a week. And, and uh, I've, you know, I've been diagnosed with, with cancer and they're not going to even offer me a a kidney transplant, and just kind of like, he just kind of looked like it was over for him. Kind of like life was over. I said, can I, can I pray for you? I tell you, prayer really does help people. And he said, yes, please. So me and Femi and Stevie, the three of us, we knelt over to Norris and we prayed for him. And Norris was in church the next day and the next day and the next day. And Norris has been coming to church almost every day since we started church. In fact, every service I think he was there. He's got to become a part of our leadership team. He found Jesus. He dresses like to the nines every time he comes to church he outdresses me he's just amazing and then uh three weeks ago we baptized him 70 year old inner city african-american guy that finally learned about jesus when he was 70 and now he is our first charter member and he's also our first delegate to our district assembly norris came to district assembly it was kind of funny because he came the first night and he noticed everybody was kind of dressed down it's kind of a casual night. So he came back the next night. He had his gold chains on, gold watches. He had, a, he had like a, a chief's red shirt on with tight red jeans and red Nike, foot, Nike tennis shoes. <laughs> he comes strutting in there, you know, and he's like the only, and this was the ordination service. <laughs> he was so embarrassed. But he had a wonderful time. He voted. We let him know he was okay, and, and it was just kind of a funny thing. You know, it's kind of cool to get people in church that don't know how to act in church. It kind of helps us, doesn't it? It kind of loosens us up a little bit. Somebody say amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, loosen up. <laughs> Tell them, amen. I want to share one more story with you, and then we're going to go to the last couple, and then we're going to be done. Um, I had been praying, and I, I, I'll just be honest with you. When I go out to meet people in the community, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to them. I don't have some kind of a special plan. I don't have some kind of a memorized thing, I, and I don't think you should. I think you ought to just go out and meet people and love on them. You, you know, if we know exactly what we're going to say, we're probably not going to say the right thing. So I was driving, and my wife and I have been now for about a year praying around this area that we're going to plant a church in. Just, I didn't even have the courage to get out and talk to anybody. All I did was pray. I thought if I prayed hard enough, they'd just come and get saved. That doesn't work. It's nice. I did pray. I prayed for a year. But I'm driving down between Troost and, and, and Paseo on 65th Street one day, and I see a bunch of kids sitting up on the porch. Now, this happens all the time in the summertime in Kansas City because most of the people don't have air conditioners, and when it's warm in the, in the, in the summer, they'll get out on their porch and they'll catch a breeze, maybe have a little fan on the porch, and that's what they were. And here they were. There were a bunch of kids. 
And this is a picture of them. Uh, and this was August the 26th, so it was uh, just about a year ago. And here they are. Here's those kids. And, and I saw them on the porch, and I came up there to talk to them. And I was so excited that I met my first kids. I mean, we're going to have a children's department in our new church. That I, that, that, that I was talking to them. And one of the kids, uh, this one right here, uh, her name is um, Kamiya. Her sister is Kamaya. Kamaya saw that I was texting my wife on my cell phone because I was telling her, I just met a bunch of kids. You need to come meet these kids. She's driving somewhere else on the other side of the city, you know. So I'm texting her, and, and Kamiya sees me on my cell phone, and she looks at this iPhone, this one, and she says, you got an iPhone. You're rich. I didn't think there were people on the planet that thought you are rich if you had an iPhone, but that's fairly normative in that, that community. So she said, can I take a picture? And I said, sure. So she took my camera. She went back and she took a picture of us. That's why I'm in the picture. And Kamaya's not in the picture. So she took a picture, and then they, they took my cell phone back, and they're all gawking at it, looking at it. And, you know, of course, you know, this one right here, this is Asiana. She's throwing signs. She's always acting cool in pictures, trying to show off, you know, trying to, trying, to, trying to be seen in the picture. And she's looking at it. Look at me. Look at my signs. And then about that time, LaRonda walks out. Now, LaRonda is their mother and, and their aunt. And she is not happy. She's a pretty large African-American woman. And she comes out of the house I mean, she's not happy. And she looks at me, and she sees him look at this camera. And she looked at me, and she said, are you some kind of a pervert? Did you take a picture of my kids without my permission? And I'm like backing off. I mean, like, she's coming, man. It's like over for me. And I said, easy, decaf, chill. It's okay, you know. And, and, and I said, I'm a preacher, so I'm giving her cards and credentials and trying to keep her from hurting me. You don't mess with African-American women in the inner city, folks. You can mess with the guys. Don't mess with the women. They will mess you up. I knew this. So I'm backing off, and finally she says, oh, you're a preacher? I said, yeah. She said, then you need to take a picture of me. So I did. That's LaRonda. <laughs> and, of course, Asiana had to photobomb it. See, she's throwing her signs again. So I got to know LaRonda, and I, I didn't tell the story in the early service, but I'll tell you the rest of it because I have a little more time. So I come back to LaRonda about three weeks later, and she's sitting in her car out there on 65th Street. And her windows are up. And so I thought it would be kind of weird to just pull up while she's in her car. So I thought I'd drive around a couple times. When she gets out of her car, goes in her house. Because it's just kind of weird to, you know, sit down in her car. You don't want to knock on their window. So I kept going around, around the blocks like three times. She stayed in her car. So finally I walked up to the car and knocked on the window. And I said, are you okay? She rolled the window and she said, yeah, my grandbaby is, is in the hospital. And I went to visit her. I left my house keys and I can't get in the house. And my daughter's not going to be back for an hour and a half, so I just got to wait here. I said, well, here, hop out on the porch and talk, because I'll never get in a car alone with a woman. So she gets on the porch. Sit there and talk. You know what she told me? She said, Pastor, I really want to serve God. She'd been to church several times by that time. She said, I really want to serve God, but when it comes to the end of the month and we can't pay our rent, I don't know what to do. And sometimes I have to go find a man to get my rent paid. And when she said that, I said, LaRonda, you don't have to do this. God can change you. He can fix you. He can help you. So I prayed with her that day, and that day, LaRonda gave her heart to Jesus. It was a wonderful time. We sit there on that porch and just prayed together and cried together. And LaRonda's now got her life together. She's working at Research Medical Center now. She's, we're going to help her get a car, the Lord willing. She's doing great. Alexandria, her daughter's doing wonderful. Well, I went back to visit her, and we took her out to dinner. Her and Asiana, this is a Tazo's Greek restaurant. That's my daughter, Katie. My wife was home with my grandbaby in Atlanta. I don't get to go there as much as she does. And we took them out. And they had, this is a Greek restaurant where you break the plates on the ground, you dance. And Ola Rhonda got all excited. And I, I did tape that. I got a video of that, but I didn't think you'd want to see that, so I didn't show that one. But there we are at dinner, and, and uh, we had that time. And then, and then later on that week, uh, she said, Pastor, I'd like for you to come and do a Bible study in my home. Well, Rhonda wants to do a Bible study in her home, and I'm thinking, it's just odd that she would ask that. I said, okay, great. She said, but I want you to invite the church. I said, okay, I'll be happy to invite. She said, no, no, I want you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite the church. So you put your phone on video and record it, and I want you to show this to the church. So I'm going to show you that video of LaRonda inviting the church. She's in, I'm in her living room this day, and it's in the evening when she does this. Wait, just stop there. The 6th, the 6th. <laughs> Tuesday night, 6th of March. Okay. Pastor, March the 6th, I'm going to have Bible study on my house, 1426 East 65th Street. And y'all more too welcome to come to teach us the Bible. And we're going to have cook greens. I'm going to cook greens with ham, hot, sweet potato, meatloaf. Woo! That's what I'm Could y'all hear that? Because I can't hear it up here. Did y'all hear it okay? 
So, she, so we came to her house. Here's the interesting thing. I came the night before the Bible study, and I said, LaRonda, we're ready to go. Tomorrow night, everything good? She said, yeah, it's good. And I looked around, and she had 17 chairs set up around her kitchen, her dining room, and her living room, 17 chairs. She was all ready. And uh, I thought, 17 chairs? Well, we were just a new church plant. We probably only had 20 people total. We might get five there. And I kept saying, well, I'd like to bring maybe 12, because this is kind of a, this is cool. This is our first Bible study in a home in the community. This is like a big deal. She said, no, no, I wouldn't bring more than about five. I didn't understand. She had 17 chairs, but she only wanted me to bring five people. I found out when we showed up the next night for the Bible study. She'd invited her whole family. There were 24 people there. They, she brought them there to hear the gospel. And I was able to talk about Acts chapter 2 with 24 people from that neighborhood. Can you believe I was invited in that neighborhood in somebody's house? What an amazing honor that was to be in her house and talk to them about Jesus that night. It was a wonderful experience, and this is what we had. There it is right there. There's the greens and the ham hocks. They were the best I'd ever had in my life. They were unbelievable. They just kind of melted in your mouth. Oh, they were good. And there's the meatloaf. It was awesome. She had that goop on top of it, that, what do you call that, ketchup? And then she, and then she had sweet potatoes and cornbread, baby, and we had a wonderful feast together. It was an awesome day. I want to share with you kind of the end of the story. So a couple weeks ago, I sent LaRonda a text because I'm always texting my people because I'm never home much, so I have to kind of communicate with them, you know, through the phone. I texted her a text. And I said, Dear Leron, I want you to know that I prayed for you and your family today. I want you to know how special you are to Total Life Church. And this is what she sent back to me. She said, Pastor, you just don't know how I needed these prayers. When I see and read this text, it makes me feel more worthy to never, ever give up. I really need your prayers to keep going. I'm so glad that you came to my porch that day and met me and my girls. They haven't had a good male role model in their lives since their father died. I'm so glad God honored us by sending you to my house. I'm thankful for TLC and that it prays for me. It makes me feel like I have value and it motivates me to keep going. Thank you for everything. That's just, that's just one day someone stopping. I'll tell you the rest of the story. I came back to LaRonda's house about a week later. I was sitting at her living room table, the same table that you saw this picture on. I was sitting at that table, and in walks this young lady. Her name is Sierra. This is her niece. Now, Sierra looks like she's 15. She's, I think she's 38 years old. And uh, she sits down next to me at the table. LaRonda's making spaghetti in the kitchen. So I'm at the dining room there in that house with her. And, and uh, LaRonda says, hey, did you meet my pasta? <laughs> she calls me pasta, kind of like Italian food, you know. And I was, she said, she said, no, is this your pastor? I said, she said, yeah. I said, hi, my name is Mark Bain. She said, I need Jesus in my life. She told me that. She said, I'm a booster. You know what a booster is? In the inner city, a booster is somebody that steals for a living. They, they lift stuff. They boost things. They sell it. That's how they live. They don't work. She said, I've been running from the cops and running from God my whole life. Would you pray for me? So I was able to lead her to Jesus that day, and I gave her the first basic Bible study sitting there in her house that evening and took her through it. I just texted her yesterday and told her I was praying for her. She said, thank you very much, Pastor. I need it. I love you. <laughs> None of that would have happened unless somebody had come into that inner city and decided to start loving on people. And I want you to know that the cities that you live in, there are people waiting for you, waiting to be discovered, waiting to come to Jesus. And it doesn't take a gifted, skilled person. It just takes somebody that loves Jesus. Remember the qualifier, anyone who believes. Amen. I'm going to finish this and give you my last couple points. Deception number four, being mature as a believer is more about faithfulness than fruitfulness. We've allowed the devil to convince us that as long as we're faithful, we're good. As long as we're there, show up on Sunday, pay our tithe, we're good. See, the definition of faithfulness in the New Testament cannot be separated from the word fruitfulness. Jesus said, if you want to show yourself to be my disciples, you'll produce much fruit that lasts. I want to undo the biggest myth of all. Here's the biggest myth of all. The biggest myth of all is that you and I are not capable of telling people about Jesus. And you know what? We've bought it. We've allowed the enemy to convince us of that. I want you to know that you can be fruitful because the power of God is greater than all of your weaknesses. 
I said, you can be fruitful because the power of God is greater than all of your inadequacies. You can be fruitful because the power of God is greater than all of your inabilities. All of, the power of God is greater than all of your fears and all of your anxieties. Somebody say amen. That's what the power of God can do. We're talking about dunamis. We're talking about the kind of power that moves a mountain in an instant, not in 400 years with 40 people in spoons. Power, amen. Deception number five. It takes lots of people, resources, and buildings and unique talents to advance the kingdom of God. No, it doesn't. It just takes a person willing. That's all. Just a willing person. Remember the New Testament? These 12 guys that changed the world in nine years. Your pastor mentioned it earlier. The Bible says they were unschooled, ordinary people. The difference was they'd been with Jesus. So here's what I think the real problem is. I don't think the problem is that we don't know we should be reaching lost people. I think every Christian I've ever met knows that they're supposed to do it. I think the question is when those moments come, you know those moments when we're at those stoplights, we have that urge to turn left instead of turning right, or we're in a supermarket and we have the urge to buy someone's groceries versus not buying them. Or we're walking down the neighborhood uh, and, and we see someone walking their dog and we sense the Spirit saying, talk to them, and we don't because it's awkward. Those moments. See, those moments when we hear that still small voice in the back of our minds telling us to do something that might sound really crazy. The question is not, are we gifted or talented? The question is, do we really, do we trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? I want you to turn to somebody right now and look at them. Would you do that? This is the last time I'll ask you to do this, I promise. I want you to ask them this. Do you trust Jesus? If he asked you to do something crazy, would you do it? Would you really? Because I think he's doing it. I think he's asking us. And I'm not sure we'd do it. But I hope my prayer has been for the last couple weeks since we've been preparing for this, that God would change that in you and give you the willingness to do what he says. So I want to show you a video that reminds you that we need to trust Jesus. And then we're going to close the service. Jesus, I just don't trust you. You don't trust me? No, I mean, I want to trust you. I just don't. <laughs> I have an exercise that I think will really help. Oh, okay. Stand here and face this direction. Mm-hmm. Now, do you trust me? Uh, no, I just said I don't trust you. Right, well, this is all part of the exercise. Oh, all right. Okay. Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Even though I don't. It's practice. Okay. So, do you trust me? Uh, yes, Jesus. I trust you. Now, fall back. Are you going to catch me? Don't worry about that part. Okay, that's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> you can do this, okay? Just trust me. Trust you. Fall back. Okay, well, Jesus, I trust Good. you. <laughs> yes, I do trust you. I'm going to fall okay. back. Woo! Oh, okay. <laughs> that's great. Uh, okay. Let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted, all right? Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Okay, I'm gonna do it. All right. I'm really gonna do it. <laughs> Good. Ah! Oh, Jesus, you really caught me! I didn't think you were gonna catch me, but you did! Oh, that was great! <laughs> that was great! You're ready for level two! Level two, here yes. I come, baby! Woo! Oh. Woo! Okay, hold it. <laughs> oh, you know what? You're too close. You need to move back. Ah, right. <laughs> This one's a little bit different. Oh, okay. Uh, stand here. Uh-huh. But face me. Oh, forward fall. Okay. I can do that. Wait. Whoa. Okay. Um, wait for my signal. Oh, right. The Jesus signal. Yes. The Jesus signal. Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus. I trust you so much. Good. Fall back. <laughs> That's awesome. It is awesome. Especially when you do it. Seriously? Of course. Okay, Jesus. I don't know if you noticed this, but there is nobody over there. I know it looks that way to you. It looks that way. It is that way. You can do this, Laura. Just trust me and fall back. Jesus, I can't do that. We can do it together. I can't. You can. I won't. Do you trust Jesus? Because I can promise you that there will be moments, because I've prayed for them, for you, there will be moments when you'll come to a stoplight or you'll be somewhere and you'll hear this voice and it'll be hard to recognize him because he'll never yell at you he'll never hit you over the head with a ball bat it'll be kind of a small whisper and he'll say I want you to do this or say that or go there the question is when he, when he says it will you recognize it as him 
and will you do what he says? Will you trust him? I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you two questions before we're done. How many of you would say, Brother Mark, I don't think I'm doing enough for lost people. I'm not sure I trust Jesus as I should. Would you raise your hand? Just all over. I want to see. I don't think I'm doing enough for lost people. I'm not sure I trust Jesus the way that I should. Would you raise your hand? I'm not going to ask you to come forward to pray, but I'm going to ask you one more request, and then we're going to close. If you'd say, I'd like to do more for lost people and trust Jesus more. If he would help me, I will. Would you stand? If he would help me, I'll do more for lost, and I'll trust him more. If he'll help me, I will. If he'll just help me, I'll do that. Like if you bow your heads and we're going to have a word of prayer, I'm going to ask the pastor to come and close us in prayer and finish the service however he feels led. As he's coming, I've left you some notes that you can take home and hopefully put on your refrigerator door and read them. It'll help you to keep these myths pushed down. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Our Father, you're so faithful to us. And Lord, through the leadership of your Holy Spirit, you've caused us to intersect this morning at this moment to remind us once again what you want to do with our lives. <laughs> and Lord, how you want to use us. Regardless of what we have, that doesn't matter. It's all about you being with us and then using us. Father, I don't doubt that there's not a one of us today that as Mark has shared from his own life and from your leadership in his life, but then also really most importantly from the Word, what the Word teaches us, that you've spoken to each one of us. Lord, keep us in a place where we can continue to hear your voice. And then it strengthen us and empower us to then commit to obeying you because you are going to speak to us you're going to give us opportunities you're going to bring people across our path and moments and relationships and times when you want us to proclaim to them the gospel of Jesus Christ the thing that is absolutely essential to changing their life and Lord we're asking right now as you're speaking to us now and we're responding to you. Would you enable us in those moments to respond and trust and know that if we'll just speak, if we'll just act, that you'll go with us and you'll open doors and, and maybe, not maybe, but you're going to help us to have stories just like that all through our life. Wow, I was the reason why they found Jesus. I was the reason why their whole life's different. Now their family's different. Now it's just, it's just a whole ripple effect. Just because we were willing to trust you, to speak for you. Lord, take these moments and make them so real to our heart that in those times we're ready and willing and able to do what you call us to do. We are the church. But the church is not in this building. It is in our lives all through the week. Empower us, Father, I pray. Use us. We pray these things in the strong, mighty hand of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you, Mark, for coming. And I trust you have a great week.